Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights in giving you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Make for yourself wallets that won't wear out, a treasure in heaven that never runs out. No thief comes near there and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps lit. Be like people waiting for their master to come home from a wedding celebration, who can immediately open the door for him when he arrives and knocks on the door. Happy are those servants whom the master finds waiting up when he arrives. I assure you that when he arrives, he will dress himself to serve, seat them at the table as honored guests, and wait on them. Happy are those whom he finds alert, even if he comes at midnight or just before dawn. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he wouldn't have allowed his home to be broken into. You also must be ready, because the human one is coming at a time when you don't expect him. The word of the Lord. Yeah, we'll pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights in giving you the kingdom. That's the starting point of what I have to say today, because it's just kind of the starting point and the center of Jesus' whole message. Uh, a while back, I, I don't know what application I, it was on, but I got algorithmed into this, like, the secret of the most uh, expensive and successful ad agency for, like, really good presentations, what the magic bullet is for getting your message across. And I don't know if that's because of, like, preaching and presenting or that, like, Rach and I are re-watching Mad Men, and so that somehow they know, right? But the key thing of this, this thing was that you always tell your audience the conclusion at the outset. You, on the first slide, and then on every subsequent slide, you tell them the destination, and then you take them on a journey to get there. Jesus is a master communicator then. He, after all, is the word made flesh, and it seems that he understands us. He gives this to them and to us right off the bat, this, this resounding yes. Fear not, little flock. Your father delights in giving you the kingdom. To understand that, fear not. Your father delights to give you the kingdom. To understand that, even in this world that is infected by sin, that hurts and is hurting, that the origin and the destination of all of this is God's delight. That God's delight in creation is the most real thing there is. It's also where our joy comes from. We don't need to, to muster it up. We don't need the right technique or, or the right um, ability. It's just right there. God's delight, it's just right there before anything and after everything. That's who and how God is. This should change the world for us. And you're sitting there, it, you might just go on a mental trail. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit taking you there, the rest of this message. Like, 
de and reprogramming yourself to, to understand God that way. It should change and shift our paradigms and assumptions. Because if this is true, it's really, 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 really good news. It means uh, a whole lot of other things are also true, that, that fear is obsolete and that God actually enjoys creation, that the future is fundamentally safe. Don't hear any of these things as like magically dispelling or displacing things of this world that are genuinely scary. My family experienced some things this summer that were genuinely scary, but just at its core, at our foundation, and it should be our growing habit, that we should be tilted towards a fearlessness that comes from trusting that God is not distant, God is not mad, God is not aloof or unconcerned. God isn't angry with this world or vindictive. God is love, and love delights in the other. Creation, even busted, turned in on itself creation, even creatures who are sometimes rebellious, sometimes enslaved, sometimes stiff-necked, and other times just weak and hurting, all of this is endlessly loved by God. Do we know that? Endlessly loved by God. I'm learning kind of how some of this cashes out. Um, if you're a parent, you can especially tune in. Because um, I'm learning about this in parenting, like how you communicate this to a kid, that they are endlessly loved from the outset. They, they can't do anything to make themselves more loved. They can't do anything to make themselves less loved. They're just loved by me and more so and infinitely more so by God. Um, that means that most of the parenting task then is not to learn how to delight, it's just how to communicate that delight. And, and, and some of that process is like a searching out process or like an investigating process and an encouraging process and a cultivating process to figure out each kid's unique gifts and personalities and joys. Um, and then to delight in seeing, like to further delight in seeing them grow and struggle and thrive and become. I think this is something like what God does. And, and God is, is wise and providential and knows who we are better than we know who we are. But I still think God probably delights in watching us become and watching us figure some of these things out for ourselves and watching us figure out what it means to thrive with each other in this world. And because God feels this way about us, that's unshakable, can't be changed. Because of that, the kingdom is given to us. The kingdom is given to us. It means we have a place at the most important table, that we are made kin in this kingdom, royal family. This is all pure gift leading us to an ability to be joyful. <laughs> Maybe family dinners aren't joyful occasions for some of us. For some of us, they really are, and we can really grab onto that experience. But we can be joyful even in the midst of trial and tragedy because of God's belovedness. We are so beloved, we can experience joy even in places that don't seem inherently joyful. Uh, Karl Barth says, joy is the simplest form of gratitude. When we're thankful people, we express joy. 
It doesn't look the same way for everyone. But on the other hand of that, joylessness is some sort of obliviousness to God's generosity. Joylessness is an obliviousness to God's generosity. So having established that really firm foundation, Jesus' message to his hearers takes kind of a turn. <laughs> Jesus does this. It, it sometimes feels like a, a bait and switch or something because he starts talking about money and stuff. If we're not careful, this kind of sounds like one of those compliment sandwiches where you say something nice just so you can get to the not nice part. Or maybe like the grosser analogy, I don't know, maybe this is just Ned, but when, whenever we had to get our dog to swallow a pill, we would just like wrap it in deli turkey, you know, and shove it down their throat. And so maybe that's what Jesus is doing. Um, he, he's just wrapping this bitter pill to swallow in, in something nicer. I don't think so. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor without a lot of qualifiers. Just sell your stuff. Give it away. That's normally not the top verse selected for like billboards or picket signs or floral journal covers, right? <laughs> sell your stuff and give it to the poor. It's interesting. Whenever, whenever you're stuck like that and you're like, wait, how did we get from here to there? That's a good time to, to, to kind of try to root out what is really going on here. And, and so it's interesting that fearlessness, fear not little flock, and joy that comes with that is connected to generosity and open-handedness. Fearlessness and joy is connected to generosity and open-handedness. It's almost as if closing down and holding tight have become a natural state for us that's really kind of an unnatural state for us. And Jesus is reminding his hearers of that. What we do when we need to make something happen or ensure an outcome like, is when we close down and hoard and grab. Like whole systems and societies are built on this. It comes out as like hustle and grit and hacks and maximizing market inefficiencies and that becomes the goal of our lives. Jesus isn't really that into that. But if we're to have open hands to receive from a God who delights to give us the kingdom, we can't have white knuckles clenched and closed around stuff that we're afraid to let go of or around a future that we weren't responsible for making in the first place. In a little bit, and each week, we, we kind of rehearse this posture. This is an embodied way that we, we get these habits into our bones. We rehearse this posture when we gather and come down the center aisle and we come to the table with empty, open hands ready to receive from God's grace. A, a table that is not ours and a gift that comes to us. We're learning to become people whose lives are able to receive God when God arrives. If our hearts are tied up in things that thieves steal and moths eat and rust destroys, they can't be wholly aimed at God. The, the, key, the, the, the key to this like ongoing discipleship, especially for us Western Christians, is learning how to like call down our lives of attachment, like frequent gifts to goodwill, <laughs> right? Um, 
in order that we might be attached to God. We, sometimes we have to get rid of the stuff that, that we're attached to so that we can come unencumbered to God and attached to God. The, the translation that Justin read says, we're to make for ourselves wallets that don't wear out. Uh, I really love that, that turn of phrase. I think that means investing in people, not stuff, in, in God's work in this world. Um, this can seem, I think, for some of us, like a, a little bit of an out-of-control way of living in this world, especially for those who want a little bit of control and a little bit of insurance, and sometimes looking at our bank account balance does that for us. But again, don't be afraid, little flock. Your father delights in giving you the kingdom. The last section of our passage shows us how God gives us the kingdom. Not lobbing it in from afar, but arriving to us. We must be dressed and ready. There must be, as, as Tophan and Anna saying, oil in our vessels. There's a little bit of like a metaphor blend here. God's arrival as a householder coming home from a wedding, also like a thief in the night. Each might give us a different sort of anxiety for God to show up in our lives. And the message uh, paraphrase entreats us to keep our shirts on and keep the lights on. I kind of like that also. Um, I don't know if this is anyone else's experience, but it shows how sticky kids' songs are. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and we sang Stay Awake, Be Ready. Does anyone know that song? Stay Awake, Be Ready. You do not know the hour when the Lord is coming. Stay awake, be ready. The Lord is coming soon. Hallelujah, right? Um, it's, it, I think it's meant to be less scary when you just throw an hallelujah on the end of it. <laughs> that song still kind of slaps, so. We look closer and we realize, though, that Jesus is laying out the roadmap for when and how God arrives. Namely, Frequently and inconspicuously. God arrives frequently and inconspicuously into our lives. He says, happy are those servants. These are beatitudes. Happy are those servants whose master finds them waiting up. And when he arrives, I assure you, he will dress himself to serve, seat them at the table as honored guests, and wait on them. We've been watching uh, the show on TV um, called Bear, and uh, before every day when they open the restaurant, they have a family service, and oftentimes it's the main chef that serves the rest of the staff, and, and that's, that's kind of the image I get here. Um, that, that Jesus, when Jesus arrives, that he comes, when God shows up, he comes as a master who actually serves is kind of rich words coming from the same Jesus who launched his ministry in Cana at a wedding, turning barrels of ceremonial water into the best wine the steward had ever tasted for a bunch of already buzzed wedding guests who couldn't even appreciate it. These words, this imaginary, this universe, come also from the one who would grab an apron and a towel and wash his friends and followers' feet right before he died. This would be kind of kick off a whole weekend of powerful inversions in the way they think God shows up. 
first as a servant washing feet and then as a king hanging on a cross. This, um, I think, I hear these faint echoes of Jesus also bringing low and raising up, maybe like Isaiah's suffering servant or, or maybe Mary's Magnificat song made flesh. This vision must remind us to be ready because God is here. God comes to us. God has arrived in Jesus and continues to arrive to us over and over here and now. So staying awake, being ready, paying attention for God to arrive, to speak, to reveal, we normally assume that this will feel like some sort of blinding light, like Saul on the road to Damascus getting knocked off his horse, that our eyes will have to adjust before we see and that we won't be able to miss it. But what if God's already presence in this world is more like, like something that's there in the dark? And we're in the dark and God is with us in the dark, and we can't see <laughs> until our eyes continue to adjust and focus, our pupils further dilate, and we weed out a bunch of false lights. We, we take lights that prevent us from seeing. Maybe that's why in the end, when God is all in all, there won't be any sun, moon, stars. These celestial figures are unnecessary distractions from beholding and being with God. This is kind of a transfiguration mode of living. Yesterday was the feast of the transfiguration. It's tuning in and seeing in this world with God's vision. God's vision of possibility, God's vision of renewal with a lens of already belovedness. Seeing this place, even this place, even our homes, places where it doesn't feel like God's all that present or that we can't even be that present. It's seeing these places as territories already claimed by the God who proclaims in a, a barely perceptible whisper that we really have to bend our ear to. All over creation, behold, I'm making all things new. If we assume that's going to be a shout, maybe it's a whisper and we just need to, to, to take out the things that distract us, that make us so we can't hear. So to close, we'll finish where we started. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights in giving you the kingdom. Actually, will you all say that with me? Ready? One, two, three. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights in giving you the kingdom. This week, if we want to grow in intimacy with God, if we want to grow in awareness of God's presence, presence, if we want to grow in readiness for God's arrival, my, my advice would be don't add anything. Don't, don't add anything new. We're, most of our lives are really full already. Don't add a technique or a commitment or a new book that you think will give you the answer or religious activity. All of these things are good. There might be times and seasons to add those things. But try stripping away. Try giving away. Sell all your things and give them to the poor. Do less, like try softer, hold on to God more tightly. I think that's, uh, that's, that's what this kind of cooks down to and, and cashes out as. That, that the stuff in our life that, that clouds and pollutes, um, if, if we set it aside, that there might be um, just God right in front of us. 
the God who arrives to us and delights in us. I'm glad you all said that with me and humored me in that because we need to be reminded of these things. Um, we can always hear God's voice by reading God's word, and we can also often hear God's voice through others reminding us of God's word, reminding us of God's promises. Our world, our world is particularly crafted to make us forgetful with speed and with stuff that's happening around us. So friends, be not afraid, be generous, be ready for God to arrive because God has come to us and God is with us. Like Jesus, tie on your apron and get ready to serve and expect the unexpected. Expect that in hope. Will you all pray with me? God, we give you thanks for coming to us. Coming to us in ways that surprise us as a servant in a still small voice. Um, often in the ways we do expect but uh, don't want to countenance because it might be hard. Um, give us courage to meet you there in the face of a stranger in need, in the face of someone familiar in our household that we have lost patience for. Um, give us anticipation as we encounter neighbors and strangers. Um, thanks for calling us your family. Thanks for giving us a place in your kingdom. And thanks for giving us work to do uh, as we prepare for you to arrive. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.